going to get you into the habit of looking into the Proverbs, at least on Sundays. And um, I like the Proverbs. They're, they're a lot of fun. In fact, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this because ne- next week is the 10th. And um, Proverbs 10, 13 is one of my favorites because <laughs> I have this warped sense of humor. But if you read Proverbs 10, 13, which is next week, believe me, okay, if you read it with a certain perspective, it actually says that you should hit stupid people with a stick. Now, I, you notice I didn't stand behind the pulpit to make that statement because I don't want to account for that to the Lord later. But Anyway, but this is not the 10th. This is the 3rd. This is Joseph's birthday. And um, Proverbs 3.34 says, But God gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to humble people. Uh, I want to just remind you uh, where we were the last couple of weeks. We've been in Chronicles 20.20 where um, the Lord says, Establish yourself in God, and you will be established. Establish your, yourself in his prophets or in his voice, and you will prosper. Two pretty good things. Last week, um, we, uh, we also uh, read in Second Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instructions in righteousness. And I gave you some pretty good reasons why you should believe that the word of God is real, verifiable, supernatural. There are so many wonderful things if you just get in there and dig. And if you weren't here last week, I encourage you, um, the message last week will build your faith as you, li- as you find out some of the things that are just the scratch the surface on some of the hidden things in the Word of God. This week, we're going to be um, talking about how is it that you can tell, how is it that you can tell something is truly the supernatural voice of God? Because there are a lot of voices clam- clamoring out there. There are a lot of people out there that will tell you things about God. There are a lot of different places that want to pretend to be able to give you something supernatural for you to hold on to. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about how you can, can know whether that is or not. And uh, our text for today is Isaiah fifty-five eleven. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So, Lord, we, um, we hold your word before you today in our hands, in our hearts, and ask God for your intended purpose to actually be accomplished in our hearts. Speak to us, Lord, as a group, but also speak to us individually, Lord, with power and with grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That scripture basically says that God's word is supernatural and it's engineered by him to have a specific effect. It's supernatural. There is nothing in his word, nothing in this book, nothing in his word that is just filler material. There's nothing here that's a mistake. There's nothing here that was just fun to tell. Every word in here was designed by the Lord. And I, I personally believe that it was designed by the Lord to have application over and over and over and over again in the lives of people that would listen. And it never, ever returns void. Um, I want to um, read with you through a pretty cool story back in the book of Daniel. So um, if you have your Bible with you, go to Daniel t- uh, 2. And we're going to read along now. If you don't have it, I brought it for you, and it's on the wall. But bring your Bible to church because, you know, you really should check me out. You should verify that what I'm telling you is really what's in here. Not that I'm not trustable, but you should get used to verifying the things you hear with your ears and filter them before you let them get into your heart. Filter them right through this. So I encourage you to bring your Bible. And bringing your Bible on your telephone is cool. (laughs) Nothing wrong with doing that. Way to go, Eric. By the way, Eric, thanks for worship today. It was terrific. It was really good. 
So uh, Daniel chapter 2. Now this is um, going to be about a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was like the king of the world. Not the king of the world like, you know, I'm the king of the world, you know, that movie about the boat. No, you, come on, come on. Okay, not that kind of king of the world, but the real king of the world, Nebuchadnezzar. So um, Nebuchadnezzar, it's going to be Daniel chapter 2. Ready? Okay. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that sleep left him. Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they they came and stood before the king. These are all the people who supposedly would understand the supernatural and could explain it to him. And the king said to them, I have had a dream and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. Okay, right there is is a change. The original text here goes from Hebrew to Aramaic for several chapters, which is interesting. Uh, Different subject for a different time. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. You tell us your dream, then we'll tell you what it means. Then the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretations, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. Okay, this king is not firing blanks here. Okay, he's, got, he's saying to these guys, I'm not telling you the dream. Here's the real thing he's saying to them. You pretend, you claim to be able to uh, understand the supernatural. If you really can't understand the supernatural, then you don't have to hear the dream from me to know what it is. Come on, get in the supernatural and tell me. The king's throwing down with these guys. Six, however, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will give its interpretation. And the king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is, you're stalling. You guys are stalling. Come on, let's see what you got. That's what he's really, he's now getting a little agitated. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed, until you run out of time. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you, you can give me its interpretation. He's really putting things up on the, on the table here now. He's saying, your plan all along has just been to lie to me. You were going to tell me what you thought I wanted to hear and pretend it was supernatural, and you've been getting away with it for long enough. It's done. I suppose these guys are getting a little bit hot under the collar at this point, and we're kind of liking this, aren't we? Yeah, we kind of like this. Okay, you guys are getting yours. Uh, Verse 10, the Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. They finally said the truth. No man on earth can reveal this dream to the king. It has to come from a supernatural source. They finally said the truth. They don't think they've said, they they don't realize what they're saying, but they finally said it. Verse 11, it's a difficult thing um, that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. They were close there. God, for the very reason the king was angry and very furious and gave the commandment to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. That doesn't mean smart people. That means these guys were called wise men. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them too, because they were in that category. Then, the council, uh, then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered um, Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Now, there's some lessons there. 
with counsel and wisdom, he's going to go talk to a guy who's been ordered by the king to kill him. So he's, his life is in danger just to go talk to this guy. But he m- mans up, and he says, hey, uh, I need to talk to you for a minute before you lop my head off. I want to talk to you. He answered, and he said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel, verse 16. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, so Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for the wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. You can read the rest of the story later. It's pretty terrific what happens here. Um, But this little passage makes this, it shouts this huge statement about prophecy. It shouts it out to us that prophecy truly is a supernatural, a supernatural event. It's not the, it's not the work product of, of studying. It's not the work product of being a nice person. It's supernatural. The secrets of God are revealed by God. It is a supernatural thing when prophecy occurs. It's kind of like, you know, either something is supernatural or it's not. It's like, it's a binary statement. You're pregnant you're not pregnant. It's supernatural. It's not supernatural. There is no middle ground on something like prophecy. There's no middle ground. It's like, you know, I, I, I hold the philosophy that I could win the state lottery, right? I mean, I could win. I, I'm not going to buy a ticket. I don't think that's good stewardship on my part, but I could still win the lottery. How do you say? Well, if the, if the Lord wants me to win the lottery, there can be a winning lottery ticket in my wallet, right? I don't have to have... I don't have to contribute to something supernatural for it to become supernatural. In fact, I can't. There's nothing I can add to something that's supernatural. There's nothing I can do to make something that's supernatural more supernatural, more grander. There's nothing I can do that way. It has to be something that comes off the fingertips of the king. It has to come off the heart of the one who loves us. It has to be something of sovereign fiat. It has to be what for him is routine and common and what for us is unexplainable. How can you hear the inspired voice of God? How can you discriminate from all of the things that you hear and know what it is when it's the voice of the living God? When is it supernatural and when is it human work product or something different? It's important to know. The word God says to us, believe in the, the prophets or believe in the, the ongoing present voice of God and you will prosper. It's a promise worth going after. And so knowing when it's his voice and believing in it leads to prosperity. But believing in a false voice, that's not good. So knowing how and when is an important thing to do. It's supernatural. I'm going to give you three ways to hear a supernatural voice. And uh, some of them are going to seem like, oh, it's that simple. And some of them are going to be a little bit more. You have to know your word and have a little bit of faith. There are three ways. So one is, that, one is his written word. You will know that the Lord is speaking to you when you read the word of God. 
It's declared. This is the word of God. This is not a novel. This is to you. It's a love letter to you. The more you read this, the more you know it, the more you will hear the voice of God in it because his plan for your life is contained right here. And there is not a circumstance you face, a decision you'll have to make, or an opinion he would want to shape, or a heart that he would want to change for you that isn't somehow explained somewhere between these two covers. So the word of God, uh, we covered that last week. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in it, but it's supernatural. This book is supernatural. I don't mean incantations and magic, right? Right. Not at me so that you make me feel friendly. Okay, come on. Okay. It's okay to talk back here. I mean, we're not going to go nuts or anything, but you can smile back at me. Okay, it'll make me feel better. You do want me to feel better, right? Oh, that's making me feel better already. That's really good. Thank you. A second way is going to be through the ministry of other godly people. There are lots of godly people in your life, and it ranges all the way from... um, There's two ways that you're going to hear it from other godly people. One is that some of them are going to actually work in the gifts of the Spirit, such as prophecy. We're going to talk about that. We'll unpack that a little bit later this morning. But other godly people, not only will you hear the Lord's will for you through the supernatural, but through the common. Because other godly people, parents... Friends, colleagues, spiritual coverings, other godly people will help you to know what the word says and how it would be applied in different circumstances. Their life experience, their training, those are actually some of the factors that the Lord intentionally put within your life to help guide you and for you to hear his voice. So other godly people, and it's commonplace, we should do it more. And then there is the supernatural through other people, and that's prophecy. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes. That's the second way. The third way that you will hear God's supernatural voice, which I think is by far the most common, is a supernatural and common still small voice. A still small voice. You know, there's jokes. You hear voices. This is different than that. This is something that the Lord will nudge your heart about. These are confirmations that you'll receive. You'll You'll be considering something which you know to be godly and... There will be circumstances that will pop up in your life. You will, you will have these confirmations. They'll be coming from a friend who will bring a topic up that they've never talked before. And it's something that the Lord has been prevailing upon your heart. The Lord will send you signals. The question is, how loud does he have to get? Because he doesn't want to yell. God doesn't want to yell. He just wants to talk. He made a decision a long time ago. He was going to quit yelling. I'm going to read to you about that in a few minutes. Um, I want to take, take just a minute and talk about what, it is, what the supernatural from other people is like. Second Peter verse 1, let's talk about that, that gift of prophecy. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. I put this Scripture up only to point out that it's supernatural in origin. Moved by the Holy Spirit not by their experience. And when you, see, when you see scripture and you see people prophesying, you'll see a lot of it going on in the Old Testament and a little bit more of it in the New Testament. But there's a shift that goes on. I want to talk about that shift because I want you to under- identify what prophecy is and what it is not. In the New Testament, there are only four places where you see the word foretold. You'll see it a lot in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, you're going to see it in four places. Three of those places, Luke 1, Hebrews 1, and Acts 3, um, I, I could, I, I, 
I could read those to you, but basically all three of those passages talk about prophecies that foretold the coming of Jesus. They, they were references to something that had foretold before. The other, the other example of foretold has to do with, uh, or, or planning in advance, or foretelling in advance, the same word gets used again, with someone who was planning to go to the sanctuary and to give their offering. They plan in advance. Same, same word. Um, I, why do I bring this up? Because if you stay up late enough at night, you're going to see ads. I don't know if, um, is it Dionne Warwick? I don't know if she's doing that anymore. But the people that call, there's, there's, there's ads you can call up and they will read your fortune for you. They will tell you the future. As long as you keep shoving money in the pipes, they'll tell you about tomorrow. They'll tell you something. And um, they make prophecy seem to always be about predicting the future. Let me tell you what happens if you shove your money in the pipes there. You're going to either be talking to a scam artist or you're going to be talking to someone who's talking to demons. Hard to know which is which. So you can decide if you want to spend your money on something demonic or something that's a scam. Either way, don't put your money into that pipe. Do not hire those people. When you go to the county fair, it's not harmless to sit down and have somebody give you a tarot card reading. It's not harmless to have somebody read your palm. Those things are prohibited in the word of God because some of the people doing them are dabbling with demonic forces. And the minute that you participate, you open up yourself, you invite, and that's just not a good thing to do, right? I want to have a church full of people who are wise as they walk in the world. You need to be in the world, but not of the world. That's what we all need to be. And, uh, and, and uh, I, I go down once in a while to the farmer's market down in Olympia, and there's always a couple of gals down there doing palm reading or tarot card reading. And I always, <laughs> I don't do this a lot because I don't go there very often, but I always like to stand off on the side and I kind of watch them. I try not to be visible. I go on another side of a stall or something and I just kind of look through. There's a lot of other people coming. And I sit there and I look at them and the people that are going to them and I pray for them. And I pray things like this, Lord, I just ask you to bind their mouths. Just stop whatever's going on over there. I just ask God that it just wouldn't make sense and that the people were there going, I don't want anything to do with this. This didn't taste good, doesn't feel good. I just pray against what's going on there because I think people are being victimized and harmed by that kind of stuff. Anyway, about predicting the future. You'll see prophets all throughout the Old Testament who predict the future. In fact, we looked at some of them last, last week where we talked about some very specific things that were, sa- that were said would be done and they were f- fulfilled by Jesus. There are so many of them, there are a lot. And there were people in the New Testament who were prophets who also talked about the future. Um, cer- certainly one of the largest examples is John, the, the Revelation. There's this huge long prophecy about the future. There's a guy named Agabus. There's John the Baptist. There was Jesus. A lot of people who talked about the future. So there were a handful of people, even in New Testament times, who, who were prophets, and they talked about the future. The number significantly and dramatically changed, though, because something changed in the functioning of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is still at work. But the way the Holy Spirit worked was there's a shift going on. In fact, Jesus makes an announcement. And and he talks about that. He says in Luke 24, 49, he says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are are endued with power from on high. And then in Acts 1, 8, he says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus makes this proclamation that's pretty amazing. Because in all of history up to that time, the way the Holy Spirit would work is 
God would sovereignly choose to speak through someone and his spirit would come upon that person. They would stand and proclaim the word of God supernaturally and then the spirit of God would depart to another person or another time for another event. That was it. Now to me, I've been a Christian now for decades and I, I know that I walk with God. I know that I'm in regular communication and communion with the Holy Spirit. I know the voice of the Lord. I know when he's pulling a little bit and saying, eh, three degrees right rudder, Terry. I know when he's saying, no, 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 180. I, I know when he's saying those things. And it's commonplace to me. I wish I was more obedient. I wish I was more sensitive. I wish sometimes I didn't let things get in there that would shout that down. And I think I'm better at that today than I was yesterday. And I hope to be better tomorrow in that than I am today. But I know I walk with the Holy Spirit, as I think probably many of or most of you do as well. But back then, they didn't have that. It's hard to imagine if you've been in the body of Christ for any length of time and you walked with the Lord and you have the, the Holy Spirit guiding you. It's hard to imagine. But there was this shift going on. An amazing shift. People who loved the Lord, loved God, and only knew to worship him by killing animals and not having yeast in their bread and resting their field on the seventh year, et cetera, et cetera, and all of these different laws and rules, that's all that they knew about having relationship with God. Jesus says, hey, things are changing. The Father's going to send something and he's going to pour his spirit out on all flesh. An amazing thing. I think that proclamation for a parent, for me, I'm a parent, is the second most important thing for me concerning my children. I want my children to be saved. They're all saved. I'm so thankful they're, 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 they walk with the Lord and, I, and they love God. The second most important thing to me is that they learn to walk with the Holy Spirit because it changes your life. It changes everything. It just changes everything. So, Jesus makes this proclamation. Imagine the same spirit that was upon Elijah when he, I'm going to talk about this in a minute, when he, uh, he called down fire on top of this, this altar that he had built and the, the bowl had been cut up on it and he poured water on top of it and there was water in a trough around it and he called down fire. And, I mean, that same spirit that was in Elijah It's in me and you. What an amazing thing. Jesus was saying, hey, hang on because something big is going to happen. Just stay where you are. Something really powerful is going to happen in your lives. Now the spirit of, of the Lord came upon them, not just one or two per generation, but available to everybody. Everybody. Wow. That foretold issue, though, is one of the things that changed. So when you think of the word prophet or prophecy, stop thinking, predicting the future. Scripture tells us what prophecy is, and um, we find that in 1 Corinthians 14. But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Those three words basically are very simple. Edification, doma, we get the word domicile, it actually means roof, but the word really means to build up. I'm giving you three gauges to know when someone comes to prophesy to you whether you can measure it and say, that's really a prophecy or not. 
Second one is exhortation. The word is paraklesis. It means, it actually doesn't mean to, to speak and to motivate. It means to call or invite, to draw in. The third thing is comfort. Paramathia means to console or basically to comfort. So when someone comes to prophesy today, it's not about predicting the future. It's about building you up, about comforting you, about drawing you closer to Jesus. Those are the measuring sticks of what prophecy is today. And here's the deal about that. You can know the Lord's will for yourself too. You don't have to have someone else prophesying to you like Jonah or Elijah. You can do it on your own. You can hear the Lord yourself. First Timothy 2 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Only There is no mediator between you and God any longer. There's no Moses. There's no high priest. There's no pastor. There is no one, no mother, no father, no wife, no husband. No one between you and God except Christ. And the Lord speaks to you directly. John 15, he says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. It's the still, small voice of the Lord. You know, when Elijah went through that whole process, and, and I mean, here's an example of God yelling. The prophets of Baal build their altar. They cry all day long. It's kind of a funny read if you want to read in there, because at about, they, they, there was a contest, and the agreement was, we'll both build an altar and we'll both call down fire from God and whosoever God makes the altar burn up, that's the real God. Agreed, agreed. So it's Elijah against 400 or so prophets of Baal. So the prophets of Baal go first and it's a great story. He, they build their thing. They're crying, they're dancing, they're doing a bunch of demonic dance and you can study that out. And at about noon, nothing's happening. They start cutting themselves and doing all these different things and Elijah starts mocking them. And um, remember I told you I have kind of a warped, twisted sense of humor. I think it's pretty funny because you read it carefully and one of the things Elijah says to him, he says, well, maybe he's on the bathroom. Maybe your God is busy right now. I mean, he just mocks, mocks, mocks. Then it gets to be his turn. I mean, he's trash talking like a couple of NBA basketball players. He's going after it. And it becomes his turn and he cuts it up and not only does he prepare it, but he pours water on it and more water on it and more water. He makes it completely impossible for it to catch fire unless the supernatural gets involved. And then the fire comes down, eats the, the animal, the altar, the water, everything. And the people will go, yeah, God is real. It's a tremendous thing. That's an example of God yelling. I mean, you ask yourself the question, well, how come God doesn't just show up? I mean, he could take over all the cable channels and show up on every TV everywhere, or he could stand somewhere and talk, and everyone could see him at once. There could be some magical, mystical way. Why doesn't God do that? And the answer is he has. He's done it over and over and over again in history, and it's never enough to satisfy us, us meaning mankind. It's never quite enough. Shortly after that whole episode, Elijah has been told that his life is on the line. Jezebel's going to hunt him down and kill him, and she had the reputation of doing that and history of doing that. He's scared. The guy who calls down fire from heaven is afraid. And here's what the Lord said to him in 1 Kings 19. He says, Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. 
And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Hinge. Here's a huge shift in the way God decided to deal with mankind. This is a tremendous moment in history. Tremendous. Because the Lord, instead of wanting to be smoke and chrome and earthquakes and lightning bolts and great big demonstrations that, that would make Cecil B. DeMille happy, wanted just to sit down with his son and whisper, whisper his love and just nudge him with how he cares about him and help him make the right decisions. He, instead of being this huge dis- display and demonstration, he wanted it to be individual and intimate and loving and quiet. A still small voice. I believe that hearing that still small voice was probably Elijah's biggest accomplishment in life. It's way better than calling down fire. It's way better because it was the Lord's will. It's the highest and the best. It's the most intimate. It's the loving. Instead of all that flash and smoke, the Lord pointed out to Elijah that his ways are not always from smoke and chrome and earthquakes and windstorms. And that windstorm was tremendous. It tore the rocks apart on the the mountain and God was not in the wind. What are you expecting? Where are you looking for God? What is the expectation that you will say when you see that, then you know God's at work at something? How big does the display have to be? How unexpected? How, what kind of construct is going on in here that says, when God shows up, we'll see it because... I mean, I've joked before, and I've said, well, I'll know it's the Lord's will. If he shows up in my fireplace with a flame in his hand, with a sword in his hand, it's on fire. I'm, you know, I make this joke, and I'm thinking, okay, well, we would know that Jesus was, you know, if he actually showed up like that. I, I, I suppose I wouldn't care anymore what my fleece was all about. I'd probably be on my face crying, forgive me or something. Those kinds of demonstrations, they're probably not that loving anyway. We don't need that. We have instead the, the still small voice. The weapons of his warfare, must ha- they have to be spiritual, not carnal, like fire and smoke. They've got to be something spiritual. And a still small voice, a supernatural voice that's addressing our, conf- our, our consciousness. That's how the Lord wants to regain sway over our hearts. He doesn't want to prove it to you in a chess game or beat you on the gridiron or win at top chef to prove to you he's God. He just wants to love his way into your life. So this huge change happens, and the primary way that the Lord speaks to his people shifts from big demonstrations of power to the masses to a small, intimate voice to individual hearts. And you know, the Holy Spirit constantly is whispering to you. Constantly to you and to me. There's a lot of static in life. There's a lot of static. Your boss expects something from you. You've got to bring home the paycheck. The taxes are going up. Your kids are doing this and that and all of these things that are going on. And then you bring your own static to the party. What is it that's important to you? What kinds of things you... There's all this static and it's loud. It's like white noise and you can't hear the whispers of the Lord. But they're there. I promise you they're there. The still small voice of the Lord is speaking to people in this room right now.
Is your heart so full of cares and concerns? It's understandable because the Lord wired your heart this way, by the way. He wired you to have feelings and passions and dreams. He wired you to have the ability to love deeply, which means you have to also have the opposite capability to to hurt deeply. Those things can become static too. Or is there an availability that you've decided? There's the key. No one is is pre-wired to just always hear the still small voice of the Lord. You have to choose it. You have to choose that you're going to listen to the whispers of the king. You have to choose it. Sometimes when you're with the crowd, the crowd could be at the grocery store. It doesn't have to just be at Seahawks at the Stadium. You're with the crowd, and the crowd says, Ah, we can do that. It's not really hurting anything. It doesn't hurt anybody. And I didn't describe the thing because I think the Holy Spirit's speaking to hearts right now and I don't want to spoil that. When the crowd says things to you that are okay, the crowd can be the national media, it can be your friends, it can be all kinds of voices. And the Holy Spirit's saying, Mm-mm. That's not my way to build your life. That's not my way to make things larger for you. That's not my way to bless you. That's not my intention to give to you the good things that I have for you. His, questions, his, his, his conversations with you are very, very specific. I really believe they are. Some of them are corporate. You know, the Lord will speak to us as a church and he'll say, okay, you're supposed to pray for your community or, or maybe we're supposed to figure out how we're going to make a difference in this community at Christmas time for people who just need some joy put into their lives. Maybe their kids just need, you know, some new Tonka toys or something. I mean, we'll hear some corporate things too. And I'm not, but I'm not really even talking about that right now. I think we'll hear that. We, I know we'll hear that from the Lord. I'm talking about your day-to-day routine decisions, the choices that you make. Where do you put his still small voice in those moments? Are you requiring the fire in the water? And, you know, I, I, I think this is such an important message for us that I put it right at the beginning of our time here because I really want to establish with you an expectation for how you should expect me to live. Terry and Lisa want to live this way, and I want you to as well. I want us to believe in the word of God, and I want us to believe in the prophetic voice of the Lord. And um, life is not going to get easier. It's only going to get more difficult. I'm not supposed to say that to you. I'm only supposed to cheer you up with stuff, okay? So here's I'm going to cheer you up. The world is, is becoming more savage by the moment. It just is. It's getting harder and harder to stand righteously. It's getting harder and harder to see hope and love when people are doing stuff. You know, I heard this morning on the, on the radio come, or on the TV early this morning that um, our State Department has issued a traveler's advisory to U.S. citizens in Europe. There are threats of Al-Qaeda attacks across Europe. They can't or won't say where. You've probably been hearing things about the Eiffel Tower and other places. So the point is that if you go to Europe anywhere, you're supposed to be afraid now because you're an American. Because Americans over there are typically going to be in tourist areas and those are the places that are going to be attacked. The world is getting more savage by the moment. Things that absolutely make no sense are going on around us. And those things are meant to rob, kill, and to destroy us. The need 
to hear and to listen to the still small voice of the Lord is getting deeper and stronger, deeper and stronger. I, I just encourage you to, um, I want to pray over you and I want to pray over the things the Lord is speaking to you right now. And I'm going to ask Eric if you and the band would come up and, um, and lead us in a song. But I want to just pray with you right now. And um, I know that there are a handful of things that the Lord put on my heart that he's saying to us as a church and probably to most of you. But I also want to pray about just the still small voice and um, our own availability to it. So would you just agree with me in prayer? Lord, thank you, God, that it's just un, unimaginable the choice you made to put the same spirit that was upon Elijah and others right, right into the commonplace, my commonplace heart. Thank you, Lord, for trusting me that way. Thank you for loving me that way. Thank you, God, for, for choices to just bless Lord, where there are areas that we've decided to love ourselves more than you, forgive us. Where we want to, I, I pray, Lord, that we would have more love for your ways versus our own ways. I ask, Lord, that we would find a way to let faith work at us versus our own control of circumstances. That, God, we would let generosity loose within our hearts rather than hoarding things. That, Lord, we would love people. That we would just love people not because of what they can do for us or what they've done for us or because they're lovely, but because they're your people, God. Help us to love people. God, I just want to pray for the people up and down Highway 12, cutting right through the middle of our community, the people that are there now in stores and in little roadside sales and uh, people that are cooking food to, to serve to people. I just pray, God, for a visit of your spirit for people. Let a love for the people of our community well up in the, within these hearts, God. And we know, Lord, that you wouldn't do that just so that we'd be lovey-dovey. We know, Lord, that, that you put something in our heart because you're planning to use us to care for them. So we pray for our own hearts even before we pray for our community. The list goes on. So, Lord, I just... Ask God for a pouring of your spirit upon us. Sensitive to your voice, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.